Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. As I've been putting this series together, it reminds me of my, one of my favorite TV series that I have fallen in love with. It's called The Good Doctor. Any good doctor fans out there? Any good doctors here? Uh, yeah? It stars Freddie Highmore, who's an amazing, not only actor, but he produces and directs and writes that series. I love it. If you're not familiar with it, it's about a young man who becomes a doctor and a surgeon, and he's an autistic savant. And he has the incredible skill and expert cognizance in diagnosing medical symptoms with precision that's beyond his colleagues who aren't battling the challenges he faces. Yet he has minimal bedside manner and no filter. And when he shares the information with the patient, ay ay ay, And he has a challenging time having bedside manner, and he tells it like it is. And Freddie does a brilliant job at playing this role. And it made me think going into this series, I don't want to be like Dr. Sean in the show The Good Doctor. I want to have the cognizance and the ability to diagnose and minister, and God used me and to use me surgically, empathetically, but I don't want to do like he does sometime. He'll come in and go, yep, you're going to die. You got a brain tumor. You have cancer. We're going to have to cut your foot off. And the other doctor was kind of like, like around. But he's right. He's right. I don't want to do it that way. Although we are going to extract spiritual tumors and look at factual reality about things that are traumatic to face. And with that said, I want to do all that wrapped in the anointing of the great shepherd of the sheep. I want to allow the Lord to have his way so that you are convinced that he's the friend of sinners, like the gospels say, and that he is a savior of sinners and sons and daughters. I want the loving kindness of the Lord to be undergirding the foundation of all that I say and all that we think and all that we investigate over the next few weeks. But I also want to say something about the anointing. The anointing does not increase with the volume of the preacher. Sometimes when in doubt, you raise your volume to think it'll work better. The anointing doesn't increase with volume and it doesn't decrease with volume decreasing. I tend to be very passionate at times, and if I really am into something, I'm even really passionate at times. And I don't apologize for that, although I always want it to be tempered in the heart and hands of Jesus. And I don't know if I am in the heart and hands of Jesus every time I'm passionate. Well, I do know. I'm not sometimes. And that doesn't always leave when I'm right here. This message comes from a burden, and I've carried it for a while, and I believe it's pastoral, and I believe it's prophetic. With that said, things that I may or may not, may, 
things that I say may or may not be understood. They can be misunderstood and could cause offense. And if that's the Lord's doing, I want to be able to roll that care over on him because that's his responsibility. But if it's my doing and I make matters worse for the Lord, I'll own that. I don't want that. And I say all that along with saying this. I'm Tim. I'm Pastor Tim, but I'm Tim. And I, as Tim, am on a journey. T. McGee's on a journey. And I have no business being in this pulpit other than the call of God on my life and the grace of God on, on my life and the mercy of God that I need every day of my life. I'm on a journey, I'm on a journey. I'm working through things in my own life and I will be working on things in my own life till the last breath I take on this earth. I have nothing to boast about in my accomplishments or in my own righteousness. I can't even boast about the anointing of God on my life because it's a gift, it's never been earned. With that said, my heart in this message is toward the Lord and symbolically, really, I'm standing on holy ground with my shoes off before God, and I want to point people to Jesus Christ. I am no trophy of moral highness or a champion of any kind of righteousness or pastoring. Anything good that comes from me is from Jesus, and I want to say that up front, because we're going to talk about tough things, and I don't want you to think that I think I'm somebody, because I'm not. Before during and after. The points that I make, I pray to God, are from the Holy Spirit and not from me or a religious spirit. And what I long to happen through this series is for God in this message today and in the series to come to lead us into liberty in the spirit, to create in the heart of every one of us a fullness of the joy of the Lord, and to create the wellspring of life that the Bible talks about that would constantly pulsate and not be filled with dirt constantly pulsate. For that to take place in any of our lives, I hope you never get over it. Anything good in God in your life is a miracle from God. Doesn't come from us and none of us can boast. The good news is any person, regardless of the darkness, the trauma, the damage, the baggage, the culture, the environment, regardless, Jesus can save you. And I got saved when I was 17. But I'm being saved from then till now. And when he comes, I will be saved. And if you've been saved, you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. We are a process and a product of the grace of God. So that's my introduction. I'll see you next week. No. So far, you're still smiling. I'll see you next week. No. With that said, heart and soul. What becomes of the brokenhearted? The answer is in Psalm 34. King David said, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those. He saves those who are crushed in spirit, heart, spirit, soul. 
In the Hebrew idea, it's all one thing. We're going to look at that next week. I'm going to have a chart up here and we'll get into this in more detail. So there's that point about the heart. Here's another message about the heart from the same God that spoke by the Holy Spirit through David. The same God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Jeremiah and says this, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The next verse says the Lord can. But I just want you to see that. Look Look at the difference here. There are two kinds of broken here. The first, people who are crushed by life. Life's gone wrong, crushed by loss, hardships, sickness, death. When my father passed away unexpectedly, it broke my heart. There are people who have broken hearts due to loss of job, loss of friends, loss of family, loss of marriage. Broken hearts due to failures. Regrets, rejections. The longest roads you travel in life are these. And nobody is exempt from a broken heart if you live long enough. But more accurately, even if you haven't lived very long. Because sadly and tragically, Satan doesn't wait for you to grow up before he starts hitting you. He wants to take the kill shot on your grandson, your granddaughter. My heart breaks for the broken-hearted children of the world. He hits before you're old enough to fight back. That's why one of the greatest passions and the top priority in our church is to minister to these kids. To feed them the word of God. To pray for God moments where the Holy Spirit can move in the heart of a kid. Because the spirit of the age is moving and he doesn't just move on Sunday, friend. He's moving on every day with why at the end. How many God moments can Christian parents afford for their kids to miss? Answer me, please. The good news is, is that the God of the Bible is also in the world. The God in the Bible is not just in the Bible. The God of the Bible is in the world, and Jesus is close to every person who has a broken heart. And he's also close to every person who has a sick heart. And in that kind of brokenness, most people who have never heard the gospel, or they've, not, they've been in church without the gospel, and had a gospelless priest or a gospelless pastor in a gospelless congregation, Don't know that their heart's sick. Jeremiah talks about our hearts from God's righteous perspective. Being sick, meaning it's not able to be healed, it's not able to be fixed, it's not able to be remedied. It's an unregenerate heart nature in a desperate condition because the grace of God hasn't touched it. It's corrupt. It's speaking of a heart that hasn't been washed in the blood of Jesus. That's, that's a phrase that preachers used to talk about a lot. Washed, right? Huh? I'm not on my soapbox yet. Get that as far away from me as you can, please. The symptoms of this kind of heart, self instead of God on the throne. Creature worship and people worship and things worship rather than the creator being worshiped. 
Self-sufficiency, self at the center, self-centeredness, all about self. Trust self, trust nobody else. That are some of the symptoms of a sick, desperate heart. Many hearts are broken even though they're hidden. Most people when they walked in here today, and I don't either, getting my coffee and someone says, how you doing? I've got a smile, thin disguise sometimes on my face. I say, pretty good. What do you want me to say? I'm ready to fall apart, man. Glad you came to listen. We've all been there, right? Don't you wish your last broken heart was your last broken heart? Many are sick, though, and are failing to face it. And every person without Jesus, you know what? You don't just need the healing of a broken heart. You need a new heart. We're going to talk about that next week. Colin Brown is one of my uh, favorite scholars in the three-volume set, Dictionary of New Testament Theology, talking about the heart and the broken heart and the sick heart says, sin dominates and spoils not only the physical aspects of man, but his thinking, his willingness, his feeling, his striving, and spoils the source of everything in the heart. If the heart is enslaved by sin, the whole person is in bondage. Evil thoughts come from the heart, Jesus said. Deceiving desires come from the heart, Paul said. The heart without Christ in it is disobedient, it's unable to repent, it's hard, it's faithless, it's dull, and it's dark. Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah and said, your heart is far from me even though you're doing religious things. He rebuked his disciples at times because of the hardness of their heart. Nobody on earth can excuse themselves before God. We can before people. But nobody on earth can, can, can excuse themselves before God saying that their right knowledge is always lived by. And their wrong is never dealt with, is never dabbled into. That's the context of Jeremiah 17. The heart without God in it is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Man without God lives under the power of that kind of corruption and it takes its home in the heart and enslaves every part of the person. Yet, the good news is Jesus came to save the heart of us. How did it get like that? Didn't start like that. What happened? Look how it started. In the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis, the origins, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Adam and Eve's heart, as God declared, was very good. That means their minds, their will, their emotions were attuned to the perfection of God's masterful mind and ways. And that would have been all of us. We would right now be perfectly fine-tuned completely to God's masterful ways. Male and female, they were created. Male to bond with female in the perfect origins of God. 
bone of bone, flesh of flesh, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, name the animals, fine-tuned to love, fine-tuned to life, no darkness at all. It says, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being, a nefesh, a living soul, awakened to God. Very good. But the malevolent, violent prince who walked at one time among the fiery stones, who said, I will make my throne above the stars of God. I will exalt myself over God's throne. Revolted. And we find him subtly, stealthily, maniacally strategizing to bring the king and queen of Eden down. He does. And in Adam... And in his fall, we are all. Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, and people have been sewing ever since. And there are two groups of people on earth, only two. Of all the nations of the world, only two people on earth types. Those who are in a loyal bond of faith with God and those who are babblers. There's only two societies on the earth. Zion and Babylon. At the end of days, both of them will manifest in all their glory. One glory will deceive the nations. The other glory will bring glory to God. Only two. And at Babel, they said, let's make our own way to heaven. Or let's make this heaven. Imagine all the people. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. We're all good. We're all good. Paul says in Romans 1, and the progressive Christians have a big problem with Paul today. Paul says about this moment. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became, that means it wasn't, it became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be smart, they became fools because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to made look like people, birds, animals and reptiles therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires to sexual impurity on and on they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator today I come to this pulpit after the 4th of July, having once again watched Gettysburg and the scene in the movie Gettysburg before the battle, 
Captain Buford and a small band of his regiment come up upon Gettysburg realizing that Lee's armies are beginning to mass in numbers on the other side of the town. And what Buford begins to realize is this. If they don't mass a resistance against Lee's troops, the Confederates will get the high ground of Gettysburg and win the battle there. And both sides knew to win the battle of Gettysburg would change the course of the entire Civil War. And Buford's there before Reynolds gets there and knows he doesn't have the numbers to combat the, the forces that are growing with Lee. And he challenges his men to be willing to sacrifice their lives, to hold the ground so that the enemy can't get the high ground. That's before the battle. If you don't have the high ground in the battle, you will lose the battle most likely. And we are not at the battle that's coming yet. But the high ground is up for grabs. And that's why I'm standing in this pulpit today. What's going on? I have a contemporary issue of grave concern. These are the predominant core value words in much of today's church, and I do not disagree with one of them. As a matter of fact, they are core values in our church, to be a caring church. Jesus was caring. To be a compassionate church. Jesus looked out over the multitudes, and he said, I have compassion over these people because they're like sheep without a shepherd, right? Community, koinonia is the word. Uh, the, the Acts chapter 2, and they, and, they, and they committed to the koinonia, the oneness, the commonality, the family bond. We're all about that. We're going to go into that in deep ways in the fall as we go into the next volume of Ephesians. But the next word. See the next word? It's not all about community, caring, and compassion. It's also about conviction. Not a religious spirit conviction, not a church lady conviction, but a work of the Holy Spirit to go deep into the heart of people, to bring them out of darkness and into light. There are, and I'm going to name names. Yet. Yeah. But there are many popular influential pastors and teachers and churches who are reimagining Christianity right now. Deconstructing terms and doctrinal stands that have stood through eons of time to be redefined. Where it is becoming in certain circles and coming toward bigger circles that there's almost like no judgment at all in the future. Um, and I'm not naming names, but if you think of your, all, all you got to do is think of your favorite preacher and do an inventory over the last five, I'll say five, five years and look if they ever preach a series on the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne, dear God, hell, judgment on sin, just, I'm not, I'm just saying, you ever get to that in five years? I'll bet you a Livy's 
that you won't find it. And I'm not, listen, I'm trying to be as lighthearted as I can because this is not lighthearted. But I'll bet you Libby's. I got a church card. I have discretion up to $500 purchase, so. <laughs> By the way, while I'm just trying to soft shoes because I'm going into deeper surgery here in a minute. Um, the political sign out there, that's not our property. We didn't put it there. I'm not against the guy, but if we're, but if we're ever going to put a sign up, it'll be Tim Skiles, and that's all. Tim Skiles. <laughs> Tim Skiles, running for bread. All right, back to surgery. Mask on, gloves on. There's a universalism idea that's coming our way. Jesus died on the cross for everybody, so... Everybody's saved. And, and some people are going to die, and to their great surprise, they go to heaven because Jesus died for them. And I'm not kidding you when I say that you might be surprised if you dug into the wall of some of the favorites that are on now, that they're not far from being there. Love one another. Jesus said that. The royal commandment. But... Loving your neighbor doesn't get you into heaven. Because Muslims can do that. And Buddhists. And would even say it. I'm starting to wonder, what do we need a savior for now? Same sex should always be welcomed in the congregate, same sex orientation should always be welcomed in any community where I preach or teach and should be loved and not condemned. But to go on and say that that lifestyle is not foreign to biblical standards but is an acceptable biblical standard, I'll never be able to go there. Because Jesus didn't, Paul didn't, and dear God, Genesis doesn't or the Old Testament. Thus, the reason why some of these teachers and preachers now will quote, have real issues with Paul. And Genesis is long gone. Let's not only unhitch from Genesis, let's unhitch from the whole Old Testament. It's not all about kindness and loving your neighbor. But dude, it is about kindness and loving your neighbor. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, you can't read, you can't read the Sermon on the Mount, you can't read the epistles of John and not see love, you have love, love, love. And if you don't love, you're in darkness. I get it, but listen. The same Jesus that talked about the Good Samaritan also said to the church of Thyatira, same Jesus, you tolerate sexual immorality in the teachings of your church. And I'm gonna come and judge that. Find me another, I'll, I'll up it. I'll up it. Libby's and a, and a burger. <laughs> Find me from your favorite pastor, 
In the last five years, when they've preached on Revelation, Second Peter, or Jude. Let me tell you why they don't. Because the great white thrones in those, dealing with issues that are permeating in today's world are all up and down that. With a warning from Peter, and the last time I checked, Peter walked with Jesus of Nazareth. And Jude was Jesus of Nazareth, biological half-brother. And, and if you read what they wrote in the New Testament, you wouldn't be able to handle it if you've never read it before. They're screaming out about planting your feet and earnestly contending for the faith which was entrusted to the saints because false teachers are coming in calling a license to sin acceptable and denying the lordship of Christ. Does love your neighbor replace the blood of Jesus? What is the blood of Jesus for? Just a sign that God loves us? Not according to the scriptures. The blood of Jesus comes to deal with the real root of all the causes of the world, and it's sin. The real root cause of the world is sin, and the blood of Jesus must be applied to sin. And, and there's no work of love or grace or feeding the poor or social justice or anything else that can be the substitute for humbling yourself, admitting you're a sinner before God, and being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is none. There never has been. There never has been. There never has been. And there never will be. Religious works. Water baptism can't save you. Mass can't save you. A priest telling you your sins are gone doesn't make your sins gone. Me telling you. No, 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 no. There is one me This is the Bible, by the way. There is one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus. That's all. That's all. That's all. One of the reasons why we're changing the scriptures is because, and I get this with deep empathy, some of the truths of scripture are terrible to face, but they're true. Yes. And the trauma of that, the reason why there's Je Jehovah Witness, the reason why there's a Jehovah Witness is because Rutherford, the leader of it, was on a train, he was raised up in a Presbyterian background, and he was being tormented by the thought of people going into eternity lost into hell. He's about to have a nervous breakdown. Sure, he did? I'm not here to blame him or condemn him. I've been in those places. And this isn't funny, by the way. I'm, I'm in a place of trauma with that sometimes myself. You know what he did? He just wrote another Bible. Now, that's extreme. But we are spiritualizing terms now. And I believe it's for the same reason. The reimagining and the deconstructing has to come to the fact that it is a terrible truth and a traumatic event to face the fact of standing before a holy God undone, having been stubborn and walked over the blood of Jesus your whole life, despite the grace and mercy of God that's been offered to you, and facing the fact of what that means forever. Forever is a pretty long time, by the way. I don't like to think about that. And if you ever preach it, you're, it's conditioned to call that person a hellfire brimstone. Oh, and if you do go there, you've got to take 15 minutes like I did to start this one. <laughs> to make sure you know I'm not a hater. I, don't lo I love people. You've got to do that. And dear Lord, if you ever go to Romans 1.
where the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross to save sinners from sin is being replaced by the gospel that Jesus came to save the oppressed from the oppressor. And salvation is changing communities from the evil oppressors. And while all that's going on, if you don't deal with your demons, they go down to the cellar of your soul and they lift weights and get stronger. And God has never stopped being about wanting to liberate people from their demons. I just read Mark describing the ministry of Jesus that was different than Luke and John and Matthew. He said, and he went through all the cities driving out the demons. And I thought, whatever happened to demons? Did they pass away with tongues? And the cross? And how? Or do they know how to disguise themselves? Or is the church too carnal to have them manifest and be exposed? I wonder what happened to them. The Holy Spirit brings comfort to those who have been stricken by the truth of God's word to give them comfort to walk courageously and shakingly into the light and out of their darkness into liberation. He doesn't give a comfort in sin, a comfort to walk through the processes of coming out of it. There are things that God took out of my life in a New York second, and there are other things that come along with me like an unwanted traveler in the car from here to Florida. It's just me. I get it. And the same long-suffering, merciful patience of God will be that way with people struggling with anything they're coming out of, including the one. Just as patient that we might want him to be over our snarky, jealous spirit of offense, the church needs to be just as patient with people who from the time they've been little have thought in their emotions, in their soul, they were born a certain way with an inclination, a certain path. We have to be as long-suffering with them, and we don't know how to do that. So when I'm preaching what I'm preaching, I hope you hear me that I am not saying a certain thing, and I am saying God will be patient with all of us as long as we're honest. Where we get in trouble? All of us. And what burdens me regarding that one particular thing, let's just not say what it is today, okay? I'm really trying not to be a comedian here. He will be deeply merciful and patient and there needs to be a place for you in the community of faith. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, he has just talked about 
the riches we have in Christ. These metaphors are what? What are the metaphors? They're real. One of the metaphors is to be a body. Another one is to be a holy bride. And as being an expression of the holy bride of Jesus, that passage on marriage is really not about marriage. It's about the believer and Jesus. It's about the bride of Christ. It's about the church. And he wants to make us radiant. So you're com- you, you've been positioned into faith. You've been positioned into holy and blameless. But, you're, but, you're, but your real you is in, is in a mixture. It took one night to get Israel out of Egypt and 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And so you and I are in that process. And I can measure myself by where Ollie is, where I'm at, and go, whoa, I'm better than Ollie. Or probably not. Oh, we'd put your picture out there too if you want. And we can measure ourselves with others, can't we? Here's the, here's the, it's a personal walk. Anybody tracking with me? I just want to know. I lost you. Okay. So Paul says, in the world, it's completely different. And he, and he admonishes the church. Don't do this kind of life anymore. Let me read it to you. I say this and I affirm together with the Lord. In other words, in other words Jen Hatmaker, this isn't Paul. This is Paul and Jesus. He says it. Like he says it, affirm with the Lord. So you can have your problem with Paul. Sorry. That you walk no longer as the Gentiles. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind. The way they think. Well, this is just how I think. That's right. This is how you think. It's how I used to think. And sometimes the old T. McGee still throws his knuckleheadedness in there. You? Don't, come on, Ray, anybody here that you're sort of working on, you're not all there yet? If you're there, come up and finish. Being darkened in their what? In their ability to navigate and understand what's going on, they don't have any light. And they're excluded from the life of God. And why is that? Because God doesn't like them? No. Because of the ignorance that's in them. And why are they ignorant? Because they've hardened their heart to God. And when the Holy Spirit and truth comes your way and my way, sadly, a lot of times you only have a really quick second or so to grab it. Because as soon as it comes, like Jesus said, the birds will come and say, did God really say? Did God really say? And he raptures that word that could save you right up out of your heart. And so these people harden their heart. It's a dangerous thing when the Holy Spirit's moving to resist it. Because the next time, it will get easier to resist it. So, callous. And when you're callous, then you give yourself over to sensuality. Sensuality doesn't necessarily mean you're laying around in a hoop-de-doo uh, It just means that you go by your feelings. Well, I just feel this. It's just deep in my heart. Love's love. I just feel it. I, it's all, my mind thinks it. I feel it. What am I supposed to do with these feelings? That's sensuality. That's who we are. That's a soul life without the spirit. And it, but you don't know it because you're smart. And everybody else thinks just like it. And the only reason you and I don't is because of the, we weren't smart, the mercy of God. 
got the light to you. So we can never boast and we can never judge anybody else because listen, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I'll never get over the fact that he was looking for me. I'm teaching algebra for 30 minutes. Hope you get it all figured out. See you in three weeks. Try to catch up. I know you got better things to do. There's only a ward about to start, and we don't have the high ground. We don't have it. Let's all dance around and sing, Hallelujah, love Jesus. We don't have the high ground. Where am I? Sensuality for the continuum of impurity of every kind with greediness. The more you do, the more you do. The more you want, the more you want. But look at this. Ready? But you did not learn Christ in this way. But now, they are. Not everywhere, thank God. Now, if indeed you've heard of Jesus, if you've really heard of Jesus and you've really been taught by Jesus, here's what you know. The truth is in Jesus. I hope you think I'm helping you today. Keep your cards and letters coming. I want to read it from the Passion Translation. So with the wisdom from the Lord, I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness and purity and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. Could it be any more plain than that? And here's the other thing. We are called not to judge those people. We are called to go and share the love of God and the word of God with people. And not just with a post, and not on the blah, 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 but building relationship bond so people can watch your life and trust your life. Here's the thing, though. In today's world, where this is supposed to break, you down, break your heart down, break your heart down so you get ready to repent and receive the light and liberty of God, that's not what's happening today. People aren't broken over that. In Western Civ, people are militant over that. And pastors are caving, not wanting to be seen as uncaring. The new freedom in our world is to create laws to liberate deeper narcissism. We have a constitutional right to be greater narcissists. We call lawlessness liberty. It's about superimposing the will of the lawless within how dare you press your morality on me. All the while labeling you an anti-whatever they want to do. Do you notice that when it comes to you or me speaking up for the constitutional right of the unborn woman? You're not labeled that. You're labeled anti-abortion. Because anti makes you on the wrong side. But you're pro-choice. Pro-choice of what? I believe a woman has the constitutional right to choose. I say, choose what? 
Choose what? What are you actually doing? Are you saying that God has no problem with extinguishing the life of the unborn woman, sucking her brains out? I'm anti that. I'm anti that. She doesn't have any say. Hillary Clinton said she doesn't have a constitutional right to live. I disagree with that. One of my favorite actresses said it this way, and I disagree with her. She is always so inspired by how women come together to support one another and our children's future. And I'm thinking, what children's future? Children's future to be raised up to believe like you do? Here's what Paul said. Patriarchal, mean Paul. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, without self-control. Throw that self-control thing out there once and tell me how it works out for you. Not lovers of good, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, but have a form of godliness, but deny the power to make you godly. Turn away from such people. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Do you know that somewhere up the road, all of this is going to culminate in an incarnation in a man who's going to be called the man of lawlessness. If we're not raptured when he comes, these progressive pastors are going to have a hard time if the man of lawlessness is homosexual. Because you're not going to be able to call him out or you'll be a hater. Even if he's the devil. You know, we're getting ready to kiss the devil. For the secret power of this lawlessness is already at work. Have you noticed it? But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then, that means if you think it's bad now, there is a restraining force of the providence of the Holy Spirit of God in society right now. And it almost looks like it isn't there. And when it's removed, friend, you have no idea. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, you do. We don't preach it anymore. Read the book of Revelation. Oh, and the, and the loving Jesus is going to do this to the lawless one. He's going to destroy him with the breath of his mouth. I'm just going to quit following a Jesus. I can't follow a Jesus that's going to destroy the devil. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's like, it's like these guys saying, because they found hypocrisy in the leadership of the Southern Baptist Church. Well, you know what I'm going to do about that? What? I'm going to jump off a bridge. I mean, what? Don't turn away from God because somebody that leads you turns away from God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not your favorite preacher, not your favorite prophet, not me, not the church. The church didn't save you. The church can't save you. I can't save you. There's only one who can, and he's going to be here if everybody else falls. He's going to be here.
Anyway, here's what C.S. Lewis said in his great book, The Great Divorce. Listen to this. He wrote this in the 40s when the Lutheran pastors compromised so much that Hitler rode their back to power. He'd have had no shot if it hadn't been for the compromising church. Just let that just permeate out there. All you love muffins. I'm standing in front of my grandson. I'm not standing in front of you. I'm standing in front of my granddaughter. I'm standing in front of my kids. I'm standing in front of your kids. I'm standing in front. I don't want them to get the high ground. We don't have, we, we got mean-spirited, Bible-thumping, truth-bullet-shooting, get out of the way. Now, I'm not talking about joining that club. I don't want any part of that club. I'm talking about broken-hearted, meltdown people that care about broken people that are bound by the enemy and standing and being liberated and being loving, filled with the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God, saying it the way Jesus would say it, but say it even if they kill you. You're going to come back next week? I'm not. Anyway. Lewis says, the demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned, that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe, that till they consent to be happy on their terms, no one will taste joy, that theirs shall be the final power, and hell shall be able to always veto heaven. Sound like today to you? Sound like today to you? I'm going to close right there, and we'll come back next week. I just want to jump down to the last slide. Whoever's up there, I can't see you. And we're going to come back to it again. In the midst of all that, it's the, it was the same way in Jesus' day. Exactly. It was the same way in Isaiah's day. Same way in Jeremiah's day. It was the same way in Daniel's day, and it will be the same way in my grandson's day. Always this, two people, people heading towards Zion, broken, struggling, but always leaning toward the light, making progress, overcoming things that aren't overcoming them anymore. And when the last horn blows, they'll probably still think, I'll never make it in but by the grace of God. But here's the thing. That's the way we make it in. And there will be people joining Babylon that look at a dragon and think it's a lamb. You can't discern dragon talk. That's, this is prophetic. You can't discern dragon talk that looks like a lamb unless your heart is nailed to a cross. It's the only way you can see the difference. And there are people, Jesus said there are two roads. One's narrow, leads to eternal life. Fewer on it. There's another road broad 
Who ever saw? And it leads to destruction. And in the midst of all that, I'll get into it next week. Jesus started his first public sermon by saying this, and I'll say it the way it's, it, it's, it's interpreted. You're blessed if you know that you're spiritually bankrupt and you mourn over it. God will do two things. He'll give you the kingdom as grace and comfort you in your mourning. But I'm glad you're here to listen. Self-righteous, self-saviors, denying sin, because when I get through with you in this sermon, and the last thing I say to those of you out there like that, when you realize you've built your house on sand, when I walk off this hill, you're not gonna know anything more other than one thing. I've gotta get with that guy right there. That was the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, to break you down to realize my only hope is to adhere, to Velcro my soul to him. And they're the people who are going to go in that city and all tears are going to be wiped away. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to put a crown on your head. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what I do. I'm not going to be able to wear it. You see those guys casting their crowns in Revelation 4? You know why I think they're doing it? They know they don't deserve that crown on their head. That lamb was slaughtered for them so that they could come in. That, friend, is the gospel. All that I said today, you can go back and check me out. Go back. Be like a Berean Christian. Don't take it because I said it. Go back and search the scriptures to see if the things I said are true. Are true. Here's what he says to all of us. Here's what he says to the struggling alcoholic who've prayed a thousand prayers to break porn's addiction off your life and you were back in it last night. Here's what he says to you. Here's what he says to you who've been told even by the church community there's no hope for you. They've written you off. Here's what he says to every fallen pastor who isn't fallen publicly but has fallen privately. Here's what he says to you and your wife. Here's what he says to a kid whose parents have fought like dragons and you're asking God to heal them and it's getting worse instead of better and you wonder, here's what Jesus, not the priests, not the church, here, I can't help, here's what he, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Next word I love the most. All. But you have to meet one condition. You have to be tired of trying to be a Christian. You have to be tired of trying to reform your sin nature. You have to be tired of trying to prove it to everybody else and measure up the standards. You've got to be tired of it. All you who are weary and you're burdened, what will I? I will give you shalom. I will give you rest. Come on, man. Take my yoke on you. The Jesus yoke. When I was 17, I didn't want the Baptist church. I didn't want the, I, want, I said, Jesus, man, I was a kid on drugs. I was a kid drinking. I was a kid knowing that on the outside, I looked like Richie Cunningham. And on the inside, I was going to crash and burn. I was going to die like Janis Joplin. I knew it. And I said, Jesus of the Bible, please help me. And with that kind of heart inside, my Sunday school teacher probably would have asked me to read the scriptures the next Sunday school because I looked like that kid. 
you look like a certain person on the inside, God is all on you right now. Come to him. Come to him. Take that yoke and he'll and learn from Jesus. And he'll he's gentle. He's humble. You'll find rest for your soul because the burden of Jesus. When you get honest and you lay that stuff down, what do you lay down? Lay down whatever. Lay down whatever. I've had people ask me that in my office. I've had people so worn out that they literally got off the couch and laid on the floor in my office and said, Tim, I'm just so tired of lying to myself and lying to God. I'm just tired. And I watched the glory of God come down and start gully washing their life. Why don't you stand? I hope... I hope and I know that the Lord's in this place. Remember what I said to start? I say it to finish. I am not a trophy of anything. I have an anointing on my life. When I was 17 years old, I said, God, whatever you do with me, whatever you show me, I'll say. Wherever you guide me, I'll go. I've failed in some of that. But when I said, God, if you reveal the scriptures to me, I'll preach them to the ends of my life. And he's been doing that. And I don't, this message, if I watch it back, I probably will turn it off in 10 minutes because I'll overcomplicate it and overcriticize myself. But in the midst of all that, here's what I know. Somehow, and he's always done it, the Holy Spirit takes me out of the way and says to you what you need to hear. And here's the thing. I can't make you do one thing. But every person in this place... If the Holy Spirit is talking to you, friend, the key to your freedom is on the other side of yes, Lord. Father God, Jesus the Son, wonderful Holy Spirit, meet every broken heart and draw people out of deception and bondage into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I ask a selfish prayer, Lord. I want to watch with my eyes the salvation of the Lord this morning. I want to watch with my eyes, Lord, the salvation of the Lord this morning. If you need set free, if you need that Jesus to give you rest, I want you not to walk but run to the foot of the cross. I want you to come with everything you have. I want you to come like that woman who pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. I want you to come like Bartimaeus. When they told him to shut up, he just yelled louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. I come against every religious spirit. I come against every demonic binding spirit that would convince you now that you're right when you're wrong, who would say to you, this is good, but wait till next time. Wait to the spirit of fear that tells you if you surrender to God, something bad's going to happen to you. He's a liar. He would lie to you and tell you you have all 10 years to live if you were going to die in two days. 
He's a liar and he's bound and I bind him and I call you out of the dungeons of your depravity. I call you out of the dungeons of your despair. I call you out of the dungeons of the darkness to find the glorious light of Jesus released to you now. If you want God, he is right here waiting for you. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.